0: Victory and Lebang podcast. We hope this message encourages and inspires you today. Well, hello, Victory family! Thank you once again for joining us in our online Sunday service. Today is July 26, and this is the last Sunday of July. And just before you know it, August is here, and you know a few months from now, maybe a couple of months from now, we're starting to hear already. Christmas songs and so uh, if you're joining us either on Facebook or on YouTube, we do want to welcome you and we thank you for um, you know joining our service today. We do hope that this preaching will be a blessing to you. We're still on the Book of Romans, the Gospel Explained, and we are actually, believe it or not, on week number nine of this particular sermon series. And the title of our sermon today is Newness of Life. Just in case you're writing on a title, Newness of Life is the title of our sermon today. Now last week we looked at the contrast between the life lived in Adam and the life lived in Christ. Now, Adam represented sin and death, while Christ represented grace and life. Now, sin and death uh, entered the world through Adam, uh, yet we know that we can actually reign in life as we receive God's abundant grace that is only found in Jesus Christ. And what a wonderful thing that we have in Christ. You know, by grace we have been forgiven. By grace, we have been made new. By grace, we have been justified. And, you know, you are, it's a safe that you've not ever sinned. Justified never sinned. And you and I have been declared not guilty. Well, by grace, we are having a new standing in God. By grace, we're no longer God's enemies, but we are now called His children. By grace, we have access to His throne. By grace, we do not have to do anything to earn our salvation because Christ did it for us on the cross. We do not deserve it. Sounds too good to be true. Yet, it is true as declared in the scriptures and as promised by God. Now, this is the gospel of Jesus. This is the gospel of grace and truth. It is all by God's grace. And I'd like to quote from a pastor by the name of J. Hampton Keithley. uh, And he said this, The gospel of the grace of God, as found in Acts chapter 20, 24, it emphasizes that salvation in all of its aspect is on the basis of grace rather than on some meritorious system of works. You can never pay for your salvation. You can never work it out. There's not enough work that can actually satisfy the standard that God has set upon us, it's only by the finished work of Christ on the cross. In fact, what Jesus has given to us is a perfect record. And all we got to do is to put our trust in him. And I'm grateful for the work of God's grace in my life. But my question for us this, this day is, do we truly understand the grace of God? Now, for our reading and for our topic today, you know, I'd like to invite all of us to open our Bibles. If you have a digital device or maybe a physical Bible, why don't you go ahead and open to the next chapter of the book of Romans, chapter 6. And we'll be reading 14 verses, Romans chapter 6, uh, six verse uh, 1 to 14. And today, I actually chose to be reading from uh, my old favorite, the NIV version, okay? And so if you have uh, your digital device, maybe you can actually change that translation from ESV to NIV. Just for today, we're going to camp on the NIV. I'd like to begin from verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase by no means? We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. In verse 5, it says, If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him Uh, be united with him in his resurrection for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the the body of sin might be done away with that uh, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin verse 8 it says now if we died with christ we believe that we will also live with him For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In verse 11, it says, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Jesus Christ or in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. Verse 14, "'For sin shall not be your master.'" Because you are not under law, but under grace. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the grace that you have given to us. Uh, because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Thank you for the new life that we have in Christ. We thank you that we are now made new and we are now righteous because of what Jesus Christ did. We thank you also for the empowerment that you have given to us through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can live holy and sanctified lives. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. All right. Well, we have been walking through the book of Romans, as I said earlier for about 19 weeks, uh, sorry, 9 weeks already. And last week, uh, as we have ended chapter 5, we talked about how we were justified and how we were made right with God. Now, this is the doctrine of justification. We actually compared the life that we had in Adam and that when we were born, we were born with original sin. We were born as sinners. Our very nature, the human nature, is that even if you don't teach a child to sin, guess what? Because of the, the nature that he has, he is bound to sin. Now, justification is actually a legal declaration in which God pardons the sinner of all his sins and accepts and accounts the sinner as righteous in his sight now when god looks at us now after giving our life to the lord and after accepting jesus christ our lord and savior guess what when god looks at you and me because now we are believers he does not see the sin that we have done in the past we have been cleansed we have been justified we have been made new we have been given a new right a new status a new standing in christ that's why we are now children of God. Now, what is the basis of this? Now, God justifies the sinner solely on the basis of the obedience and the death of his son, Jesus, as he was representing us on the cross. Nothing we can do to earn it. Nothing we can do to deserve it. In fact, it's all by his grace. Grace is something that you and I don't deserve. And today we will start looking at chapter 6, as we have read earlier, and this marks a transition in the book of Romans. We will talk about sanctification. Everybody, his sanctification. We talked about justification last time. Now we're going to talk about sanctification. How we live out this new life that Jesus has given to us. We're not just given a new status, but also a new way of living, a lifestyle. You're not just considered righteous. Guess what? You are righteous. You are living a righteous life. The Holy Spirit is the one who empowers you. He gives us grace to live out a life that is holy and pure and sanctified and pleasing to God. A new way of life means change. And we don't like change many times, and yet it is the only thing that is constant. Now, how many of you like change? You know, the way we live right now during this pandemic is change. You know, when when, uh, when the COVID hit, uh, uh, this this world, and when we started having quarantine and lockdowns, guess what? What happened was, we all realized that You know, things change. There's a lot of changes happening. You know, now we're working from home. We're not used to not going out. My kids long to go to the mall. In fact, even the classes uh, have changed. They now have a distant type of learning. And so things are changing. And because we are also in the same way, the moment that you and I gave our life to the Lord Jesus Christ, the moment we received the salvation by His grace Through faith in Him, guess what? Things will change. The way you live, it will change. You don't just change in the way you think. You don't just change in the way you feel or, you know, the way that you look at God, that the very life that you have, the, the words that you speak, the, you know, the actions, the mannerisms, the way you treat your wife, the way you treat your husband, the way you raise up kids, the way you do your business. Guess what? Things will change. You know, whereas justification made us positionally righteous, sanctification is the gradual conformity to the likeness of Christ. We are made more and more every day, gradually, into the image of our Savior King, Jesus Christ. Yet we are not yet perfect. Now, how many of you will agree with me on that? That you are not yet perfect? Your spouse is not perfect. Your children are not perfect. Your parents are not perfect. Many of you are saying a big resounding amen to that. We're still not perfect, but yet we're no longer in sin. We're no longer sinners. Christ gave to us, God gave to us a new status in Christ. We are progressively being made righteous by the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're a Christian and if you're a follower of Jesus, Let me ask you a question. Do you still struggle with sin? Let me pause there. Do you still stumble from time to time? Have you ever sinned from the time that you got saved and accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Did you commit any sin after that? Did you just stumble into sin or are you still living a life of sin? That's a big difference. Now, I'm not just talking about big sins like taking drugs or doing some criminal activity, but I'm asking some of the simple you know, this question about struggles in, in our life. Do you still struggle with envy? Do you struggle with pride? With hate? With unforgiveness? With greed? With stinginess? With self-sufficiency? And you can actually add on to the list. What does it mean when the Bible says that we are now a new creation in Christ? But the old is gone and the new has come. Is our salvation secure by believing that God saved us by grace alone? Through faith alone, in Christ alone. Well, Paul made a very important statement at the end of chapter 5 that generated the conversation for chapter 6. In Romans chapter 5 verse 20, just to uh, give us a quick review from what we uh, spoke last week. The law was given uh, to us so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Now think about that for a moment where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. The law was brought in alongside to show how gross and how vile sin really is. It acts like a magnifying glass or maybe a mirror that eliminates the ugliness of our sin. Without the law, we won't be conscious of sin. But with the law, side by side, when we look at the law, you now are aware that you cannot uh, please God. You are in your sin. But no matter how awful our sin is, there is more than enough of God's grace available to forgive it and to cleanse it. You know what Paul was saying is that when sin is on the move and is increasing in the world and in the culture, there is a, correspond, there is a corresponding work of God's grace that is that does not just meet that sin, but goes beyond that sin. And that it abounds in addressing that sin. Praise God. You know, we're not left uh, hanging where we are. But there's so much grace. If we're struggling with sin, there is so much grace that helps us to overcome where we are. It addresses uh, you know the sin that's happening in the world today. I believe that God's grace can cover any type of sin and any transgression and any trespass that any man can do. This means that there is no sin too big. That's God's grace. That God's grace cannot forgive and wipe clean. Think about the greatest sin that has been done, or maybe that you've done, or is happening in the world today. Guess what? The grace of God is able to cover that that sin is no match to the abundant grace that is at work in our lives. When sin abounds, grace abounds even more. Now in chapter 6, Paul is now talking about our relationship with sin. Before we came to Christ, sin is dominating and ruling over us because of our sinful nature brought about by Adam. We talked about that last week. But yet, You know, this same author, the Apostle Paul, is writing in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. And it it gives us a, somehow, a picture of who we were before we were in Christ. Now, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, it says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin, uh, in which you used to live. When you uh, follow the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the Spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. We used to be dead in our trespasses. And we were enslaved to sin. Sin used to be our master. We had no power to overcome it. Before Christ, we could not say no to sin until the time that we came to Christ and put our faith in His work on the cross. And He changed our life and our relationship with sin, was also changed. Let's talk about the problem or the dilemma or the question that the Apostle Paul was raising in verse 1. And this is where I put in this section, the problem in verse 1. There's a question that the Apostle Paul was raising in verse 1. And this is a statement, or this question rather. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase. He was asking a rhetorical question. Paul was asking the question that maybe someone is forming in their mind this question because of the presentation of grace in chapter 5 and what he is saying is when sin abounds grace abounds even more. So if that's what, you know, the statement says that maybe, you know, it's talking about us, our situation and the present tense here in this particular verse is present tense. It's Sinning indicates that it's a practice of sin as a habit or a lifestyle. And a person with the wrong concept of grace will say, well, since you are saved by grace and God has completely dealt with their sins, then you could continue to sin so that grace might be abundant in your life. Well, that sounds logical, but you don't have a understand, proper understanding of the grace of God if you're saying that, uh, that thing. Well, if more sin results in in more of God's grace, then why shouldn't we sin more? So God will have an opportunity to displace grace even more. That is why many people are thinking, well, brilliant thinkers, it seems to show the way that they're living because they think this way. They have a poor understanding of what grace really means. You know, I said that this is a problem because this statement of Paul is subject to somehow mis- misinterpretation. This is the reason why some preachers probably would delete the preaching on grace and not preach it as the Bible states it because of the fear that people might interpret this as a license to sin. Since it is true that an abundant provision of grace can cover all kinds of sin, past, present, and future. You know, there's one British preacher by the name of Martin Lloyd-Jones. And I want to just... um, say this and quote from him uh, when he said this statement, there is no better test as to whether a man is really preaching the New Testament gospel of salvation than this, that some people might misunderstand it and misinterpret it to mean that because you are saved by grace alone, it does not matter at all what you do. You can go on sinning as much as you like because it will redound all the more to the glory of grace. Interesting. You know, there's a tension that he was presenting to us that, you know, yes, it is true that the grace of God is so powerful to forgive any kind of sin. You know, non-Christian, Christian, past, present, and future. But it is a misunderstanding that we will use that as a license to sin. Well, some people think that you know, when they sin, they're doing God a favor because they're giving God something to do. They think that God's job is to forgive sins, and their job is to make sure that there is something to forgive. You know what the you know what a, what a thinking for them to to think to err, to err to sin is human, and to forgive is divine. That somehow you know you are dis- giving God a favor of doing something. Well, this leads us to the second point: what God's provision for this particular thinking look at paul's answer he said by no means tell it to the person beside you sitting beside you maybe that's your spouse or maybe that's your your uh, child or maybe that's your parent by no means what this means is certainly not or if i may translate it no way jose you know literally what he's saying is may it never be it's the strongest negative of which the gospel language is capable. May it never be absolutely positively not. By no means. He said this in verse 2 By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? This is the essence of the Apostle Paul's argument in the rest of the passage that we have read. We died to sin, we're dead. We died to sin already. How can we live in it any longer? That's it. You know, while it is certainly possible for us to go on sinning after we have been saved, it is inconceivable that we would want to because we're dead to sin. But what does that mean? If we died to it, how can we respond to it? Have you ever seen dead people, you know, when you go to a funeral or memorial service, You know, dead people don't have problems with sin anymore. Paul was using an analogy to describe our relationship with sin. We used to be dead in sin. Now we are dead to sin. We used to be dead. We were wallowing in sin before Christ. We were dead in our trespasses. We were dead. That's our status. We were not living. We were not alive. We were dead in sin. But now we are dead to sin sin no longer has influence over us now that we are in Christ. Have you ever seen a dead person, as I asked earlier? A dead person does not show any desire or emotion or movement. Why is that? Well, it's simple, because he's dead. You know, you can line up all the liquor bottles or maybe all the substance that he was once addicted to, maybe gambling, maybe porn, but the dead person will not have one bit of trouble resisting the temptation that he used to struggle with. Because he's dead. There's no more life. There's no more appetite for that. There's no more emotion. He will not get offended. He will not have problems with unforgiveness. He will not be greedy anymore. He is already dead. Now in verse 3, it's interesting, if I may read it. It says here, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? You know, the moment we trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, according to First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, the Holy Spirit of God, you know, the Holy Spirit, God Himself, baptized us into the body of Christ. He united us with Christ, identified us with Christ, made us one with Christ, and the Spirit of God did that. You know, An illustration that I can think is, you know, marriage. The Bible uses marriage to illustrate our relationship with Christ. When I got married to Shirley back in 1990, 30 years ago, we marched down the aisle and we exchanged vows. And we made a commitment that we will love each other till death do us part. Then we joined ourselves together. And we were united as one. And this is what Genesis was describing what marriage is all about. The two shall become one. We are now one with Christ. Baptism here is not water baptism. It's, you know, because, you know, it's rather a a spirit baptism, which is pictured by water baptism. Water baptism is actually a picture of the real baptism That we are actually uh, having when we are uniting ourselves with Christ. You know, baptism comes from the Greek word baptizo, not mestizo, baptizo, which means to immerse. Now that you are in Christ, you are immersed in His nature. You are now immersed in Him. You are immersed in everything about Christ. Water baptism is like the ring at the wedding ceremony. You know, the ring that I'm wearing right now, when when Shirley and I exchanged rings, well, yeah, my smaller ring is no longer fitting my finger, so this is a new ring. But anyway, so, you know, when Shirley and I exchanged rings in our wedding day, you know, those rings didn't unite us in wedding. They just symbolize our union with one another. When people see my wedding ring, that I'm wearing this, they know I am a married man with a very beautiful woman. Okay. By the way, I just want to do a shout out to my wife. She celebrated her birthday uh, yesterday, so happy birthday, love. Love you, okay? Now, in the same manner, water baptism doesn't save us, but it gives us a picture of what happened to us when we were joined to Christ Jesus, and it is a public declaration to the world. Now, to be baptized in Jesus is to be united with him. In verse 4, it says, Uh, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. In verse 5, if we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. This relates specifically to two important events in Christ's experience, which became part of our experience at the moment of our salvation, his death and also his resurrection. We are identifying how we have a vicarious experience with Christ in his death and his resurrection the moment that you accepted him as your Lord and Savior. When we were lowered down into the water of baptism, for example, it It pictures our death and burial with Christ. And when we are lifted up out of the water, you know, we don't normally live there for many minutes, but just, you know, just a short while. When we're lifted up from the water, it pictures our resurrection with Christ. We talked about being dead to sin as Christ died, but Jesus did not remain in the grave. He rose after three days, you know, by the power of the resurrection. Christ didn't leave us also in the tomb. We were united with Christ, not only in his death, but also in his resurrection. Now, because we are alive in him, we can live an entirely new kind of life, a life that pleases him and honors him. And we can only live victorious over sin as enabled by his grace and empowered by the Holy Spirit. It is impossible for us to do that apart from his grace. John Stott likens it like a, like a biography of sorts, written in two volumes. What he said was this, volume one is the story of my old self before salvation. Volume two is the story of my new self, my life now as a new creation in Christ. Volume one is finished. That chapter of my life is closed, terminated, dead, crucified with Christ. Now I want to forget about it and go on. Now I'm living in volume two of my life. Volume one is over. Our old life was crucified with Christ. Guess what? We are now in volume two. This leads us to how we are to live our new life in Christ, which is the third section, which is our practice. In verse 11, it says, Now in uh, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin. Everybody say dead to sin. But alive to God, say those three words, alive to God in Christ Jesus. Verse 12, therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Christianity is about faith that is lived out. Count yourselves dead to sin. Count on it. Or, you know, to to count means to, to reckon or to realize, or to recognize, or regard that it is true. Now, back to the marriage illustration. When I got married, I already got rid of all relationships or flames. I count myself dead to those, and alive only to be with my wife. When temptations come, I would remember the covenant we've made before God 30 years ago, and would look at my ring as a reminder of the vows that we have made. Now, this section of the passage of the Apostle Paul is saying that we cannot use grace as a license or as an excuse to sin. But it is the same grace that empowers us to overcome sin. In verse 13, it says, Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of Righteousness. That every part of our body is to be presented to God. Present yourself to God. Give Him each part of your body as an instrument to do His will. Consciously give your mind, your eyes, your vision, your mouth, your tongue, your hands, your feet, every part of the body, give them to God. Stop presenting your members as instruments of unrighteousness and start presenting your members, the members of your body, as instruments of righteousness to God. That's the gospel. Not only are we given a new identity and status in Christ, that we are justified and forgiven and made new, but we are also experiencing sanctification. We are being transformed daily into the likeness of Christ. We are in a progressive journey with God. And the last verse that we have read is from verse 14. And it says here, for sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. Sin is no longer our master because our position has radically changed from being under the law to now under grace. Grace does not encourage sin. It outlaws it. And I believe that we, and when we are in Christ, You know, the grace of God moves. Yes, the law is still there. Christ did not abolish the law, but yet we live under grace. We live and we obey God based on gratitude, based on, you know, our love for Him, not just based on us wanting to follow and obey the law. It is now based on our relationship with Him. Sin is no longer our master. We have a new master and Lord, and He leads us to life everlasting. If you're writing some notes and if you're looking for a main point, this is my main point and then we're going to come to a close. Through Christ's finished work, we are made righteous and we can live righteously. Let's bow our heads right now as we come to a close. You know, maybe there are some of us who are attending this service that need to make some definite decisive acts of consecration or commitment or maybe dedication to Jesus and you want to dedicate, you know, your entire being, spirit, soul, and body, your mind, your will, your emotion, every part of it, yield it to him. Don't put that off. I'd like to pray for you. Father, I thank you for those of us who are joining this online service today. That even as we have heard your word, And we have been convicted by the Holy Spirit. I thank you, Lord, that we will surrender everything at your cross. Lord, we offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable and pleasing to your Master. And I thank you, Lord, God, that we will no longer tolerate sin in our life. I thank you, Lord, God, that you will give grace to the people who are watching today. that they will realize that it is not just by their own striving to say no to sin, but it's your grace. And it's the power of the Holy Spirit that enables us to live pure and holy and upright lives. Thank you, Lord God, that you will give us the grace to say no to sin and yes to you. Now, if you are here this, uh, this day and maybe you're new here and you have not made Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'd like to invite you to also pray this very short and simple prayer. Uh, follow along with me. Bow your heads and just pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, I confess that I am a sinner and I need you as my Savior. I was mastered by sin and I have broken your heart but right now I ask that you to forgive me of my sins and I thank you that you will give me a brand new life. I confess with my mouth that Jesus is my Lord and I believe that he is raised from the dead. Therefore, I put my trust in you and from this day on, I am a new creation and I have eternal life. In Jesus name I pray. Amen. And amen. If you pray that prayer that is the most important prayer that anyone can ever pray in this life. Welcome to uh, you know, eternal life. You now have eternal life in Christ. Welcome to the family of God. And if you want to find more uh, about you know, learn more about your new life, I want you to go and uh, you know just below your screen you're going to be seeing uh, you know, how to connect with us. Please join us right after the service and we'd like to meet up with you. You know, Well, just before we close this service, uh, once again, we'd like to invite you to, you know, on your screen, you'll find uh, discussion questions to go ahead and take note of the questions and make sure that you discuss this, talk about it over dinner, over lunch, you know, among your family, among your friends, just so that we can actually find application for this particular text or topic or sermon in our own personal life so once again uh, enjoy your time of uh, you know discussions learning from one another as well and for those of you who have joined us you you probably want to be part of our small groups once again we'd like to invite you to go to our website victoryalabang.church slash connect uh, or for those who have given your life to the Lord right now victoryalabang.church slash room and would love to pray with you and guide you. And I'm gonna just end Our time together with a word of benediction. Father, thank you so much for our time today. May your name continually be honored in the way we live. Once again, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for this new life that we have in Christ. We thank you for our family. We thank you, Lord God, for this spiritual uh, family also that we have together, Lord God. Bless your people, Lord. And may we have a great understanding and appreciation of your grace every single day. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord turn his face toward you and grant you peace. May the love of our Heavenly Father and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us always. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, once again, we thank you so much for joining us. We'll all see you next week. God bless you all. Subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Feel free to share this message with your friends too. For more information about our church, visit our website at www.victoryalamang.church.